welcome everyone. This is Molly Carmichael with our Inspirational Leadership Series. Please join me in welcoming Randall Lewis to hear about his journey to leadership and a little about him personally as well. Randall is currently serving as the Executive Vice President and Principal for Lewis Management Corporation, which has operations in California and Nevada. Randall is part of a family-run business going back many decades. It's quite a legacy that he and his family have been a part of. And starting from the very beginning, it's pretty impressive. I won't steal too much thunder, but it started with his parents. And from then to the present, they've built over 60,000 homes, over a dozen master plans, 11,000 apartments, more than 30 shopping centers, and they have more than 30,000 future homes and apartments planned for the future. Randall and his family aren't the typical developer or builder either. They are very active and philanthropic supporters of health, the arts, and truly building healthy neighborhoods that mean something. In fact, the company just donated $10 million to the Urban Land Institute. It's the largest donation in ULI's history ever towards building more sustainable neighborhoods. He's very involved in the community and many boards in all of these categories throughout the industry. And he has this magic ability to show up at just about every new home community opening, at least I think I've ever been to. He is definitely a researcher at heart for sure. And I think most importantly, the thing I'm the most impressed with Randall is he listens really well. And then he takes that information again to build the future. So please join me in welcoming Randall Lewis. Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Molly Carmichael and we are here with Randall Lewis for this year's series on inspirational leadership. Randall, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a huge privilege and an honor to have you. So uh, we're going to dive right in today and we're going to talk a little bit about you as a starter, if you don't mind. And I'm going to start with the most basic question of all, which is, you know, share with us what your role is uh, at Lewis Operating Company. I get involved, Molly, in a lot of the strategic initiatives of the company. I still spend a lot of work on the marketing side of the company, get involved in a lot of the government relations issues for the company. I'm involved in most of the philanthropic efforts of the company. Try to set the tone in terms of the vision for the company. We've got some great, great people working here, but I get involved in the things I feel I can do a good job at or the areas where I have some expertise. And on that note, I think you and your company made a pretty generous donation just recently with ULI. Do you want to share a little bit about that? I, I believe the number was about $10 million. It was uh, $10 million. It wasn't all cash. We're a developer, so we got terms on the deal. It was good. <laughs> it's, Nonetheless, it's quite a generous donation. Thank you. We're lucky we were able to do that. It's to support a center of working on sustainability in real estate. It will help support already existing initiatives and will grow some initiatives that Urban Land Institute is doing on trying to decarbonize things, trying to work on minimizing the impact of climate change, working on what's called urban resilience. How can communities be better prepared for floods and fires and hurricanes? And then one I'm especially interested in, they have a great initiative called Building Healthy Places that and it's very relevant for our industry. What can we do as builders and community builders to create more health in our environments? Yeah, I think it's such a huge issue today. And I think even with healthy, 
it's affordable too. And, and your company's done such a great job too of not just thinking about all things healthy, but I think living in a healthy community includes living in a home you can afford. And you guys that have is- done a great job with that. So how many homes total have you built as a builder? And then I know as a developer, you uh, develop homes for other builders and you're doing apartments and retail. Let's break that down a little bit. So how many total homes have you built roughly plus or minus? I know that's a big number. We were a home builder from the mid 1950s till 1999. And we built somewhere close to 55 or 56,000 houses. In addition, we do a lot of apartments now that we really did after we sold our home building division. And there were up to, I would guess we built 12 or 13,000 apartments. We've become a pretty good sized shopping center developer. We've built well over 35 different shopping centers. We're in the industrial space now. We do some large scale industrial buildings. We have projects that we're working on that when done will be really close to 15 million square feet. So we've done a good job of diversifying our portfolio. Well, and one of my favorite retail centers you did was Victoria Gardens. It's it's just, I think it's one of the best retail centers in the Western U.S., if not the entire U.S. It's beautiful. Thank you. That was a partnership with Forest City. And a lot of the things you like, they get responsibility for. But we, we played a nice role on that. And I get a lot of pride. I go to Victoria Gardens at least once a month. And it's a source of a lot of pride for our entire company just to walk through it and say we were a part of something great. I, you know, I, I think every great community, it is a partnership. And there's so many pieces to pull it together. And, you know, that's something I think you guys have done a really good job of is not only working with the builder, but the planners. And I think everybody involved really respects the whole process. So it's 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 neat to see it all come to life as you work through those things. Well, let's, we're going to, we're going to roll back a little bit and we're going to talk about the company itself uh, shortly, but I want to talk about you. And so one of the big questions I have for you is tell us a little bit about kind of where it all started and um, how the company formed. And you, you mentioned it was a family company. So I'd love to hear sort of the beginnings and a little bit about the history. How did this all come together? Well, it all started with my parents who were the founders of the company and great teachers of their children and the employees. So my parents were both accountants and in the early 1950s, they had some home building clients and I wasn't present at these discussions. I was two years old, but I'm I'm sure what they said was with these people can do it, we can do it. So they went out on their own ended their accounting practice and became home builders and started very, very small with little subdivisions. We moved as a family to Claremont, which is on the edge of the Inland Empire and began becoming a home builder. We expanded to Las Vegas in the early 1960s and Reno and Sacramento in the early 1970s. I have three older brothers and as the business matured the brothers started coming into the business and the markets matured and we were able to expand both in terms of size and also geography. We now are a company with over 700 employees. Wow. Next generation, there's quite a few family members in the next generation, but we've built a really strong team. We spend a lot of time talking about succession planning and we're committed to being an evergreen company. We've got a great team of family and non-family that will be able to carry on in the decades ahead. 
it says a lot about the family to be able to do that cohesively, work well together. And you hear so many family stories where, you know, one brother gets mad at the other brother or whatever. And it's, it's great that you guys have been able to sort of work through all that. That's, there's a lot to that for sure. Well, every family has dynamics and right. we have not escaped those. But we've done a pretty good job of getting along, working together. And I think one of the real strengths is the, of the brothers is we leave each other alone. We each have our own disciplines. Roger Lewis was in construction and HR issues. Robert Lewis ran all our Nevada operations. Richard Lewis ran all our California operations. So I got involved again in a lot of the marketing work. And so we each had a good space to work in. Growing up when you were really young, uh, pick any time, you know, as you were looking up at your parents doing all that they were doing, you know, did you see yourself in the business or what did you want to do when you grew up? Was it, did you naturally see yourself coming into this business or tell me a little bit about that? Well, that opportunity was always there, but actually for me, no, my, our parents both had backgrounds as accountants. So their dream was that each of their sons would go work in a public accounting situation. Become <laughs> yeah and go work for a firm like Kenneth Leventhal, which turned into EY or merged with EY. And as it turned out, none of us really liked accounting. So, but it, it was always there, but our parents encouraged us to look at other opportunities. There was no pressure. For a short time, I was quite interested in either being a classics major, I enjoyed studying the classics in school, or maybe even working as a docent in a museum. And my father convinced me, he said, I think you might do more good for society being successful in business and supporting in museums and supporting museums instead of being a docent. So there I think, you are. Work, so yeah, I think working in business was always an opportunity, but it was never forced upon us. You know, that's, that's so neat. And, and were there any sort of special hobbies or anything like that kind of growing up? And tell me, how, tell me a little bit about the turn to when you decided to sort of come into the family business. Well, for me, the, the business was very all-encompassing for the family. I mean, all of us worked during the summers in the family business. We dining room discussions with the family business. My mother and father were equal partners in the business. So mm -hmm. I won't say all-consuming in a bad way, but the company was our life. And we all so worked we, hard together. We all worked very hard together. We had outside interests. But it was the, the, the family business was very, very important to all of us. And so for me, just as I went to school in Claremont at Claremont McKenna, it was, I took courses that were trying to prepare me. I was an economics major, but I took a lot of broad-based courses, a lot in management, a lot in psychology, I took geology. I mean, there were courses that if I went to the business, I I knew I wanted a background that could help me with that decision. I even took three accounting courses, which convinced me I did not want to become accountant, but it got so I me. I admire so those that can master that though, right? I mean, yeah, so yeah. it's definitely for the people that do it. I'm so thankful, but I get it. Yes, yes, to each their own. Yes. So, and then just at the end of my senior year, it was, well, this seems like a good opportunity. And so I literally graduated on a Sunday and started work on Monday the next day. Oh, wow. Directly with the company. 
directly with the company. And, and I'm very grateful I did. I mean, my, and my parents were great teachers. And it was fortunate for us because it was a growing business that there was always room. There wasn't a worry or you're going to crowd someone out. There was always room during the growth. The other thing that was fortunate in an awkward way was I got out of college in 1973 and there was a pretty bad recession right after I got out of school, especially in 1974. And so oh, the right. company had hard times. And so we grew up in a business where there were downturns. There was a terrible downturn in the 60s and the 70s and in the 80s. And getting exposed to economic cycles and downturns early has really left a lasting memory for all of us that you need to be conservative, you need to have cash, you need to have a lot of liquidity. And so I think that was a good education for me, saying that it's not all roses and that you have to be prepared for the downtimes. No, definitely. I think when you look back at the last 14 to 15 years and you consider a lot of you know young people that have come into the industry and have not quite experienced a significant downturn, you know, that there's definitely a lot of lessons learned during that time frame. You know, looking at your parents, what do you think the top three things are that you learned from them, you know, in their leadership uh, on your sort of life's journey with the company? I think if there were three, number one would be integrity. You know, the model for the company, they used to put on signs built with integrity. So it was always nice. beyond. So you. Yes. And I, I've tried and we try to put that in everything we do, integrity. I think a second was professionalism and it came from their backgrounds as accountants. I mean, they did not like errors. They wanted things to be clear. They wanted things to be accurate. So a sense of professionalism in everything that everybody does. And then a hard work ethic. I mean, my parents played bridge on weekends. They had some hobbies, but really that they had a very strong work ethic as they built and grew the company. And that came down to the sons and we've tried to pass it on to the next generation and also to employees that you need work-life balance. And so it's not a crazy place to work, but we've tried to instill a hard work ethic in everybody. Speaking of the next generation, I know you have, you have children. Um, how old are your children today? And, and do they have a path going forward with the company or... Uh, how is that playing out? Three children, Sarah, Riley, and Rosie. And they are all working for the company. It gives me a lot of joy. And they followed a path very different than my path. They all went away. And what we said to them was sort of what my parents said. You, you could work for the company right away, but you might want to do something else. So each of my kids went off. We lived in San Francisco and Washington. At one point, all three of them were living in New York City. They all went on to get graduate degrees in business or management. They all had other jobs. And each of them gradually came back to the company after being gone five or seven years. So they got exposure to other ways of life. They got exposure to other geographies. They got exposed to how some other great companies think. In addition, my brother Richard has a daughter, Jennifer, who works in our Las Vegas division. And she's been very active in the business and in the industry. So we've got four of the next generation working. And then there's some in the next generation that have chosen not at this time to be involved. And that's fine. I mean, what sure. we hope for the next generation is that they can carve their own paths and just do whatever will make them happy. 
Well, and somehow in, you know, no matter what the industry is, it all comes back to home, right? And so everything yeah. you're building uh, really does have tentacles out to so many different businesses. So to some degree, you know, I'm sure you're all working together in some way, shape or form. That's pretty yeah. neat. What a, that's a huge, um, says a lot about you, Randall, too, to have so many of that next generation join the company. Well, it's, it's a conscious effort. I mean, we've tried to encourage it without forcing it. We, and we try to use the word home. We also try to use the word family a lot. And people who work at the company in our different divisions use the word family. And we try to get to know people as well as we can. We try very hard to give opportunities for growth, opportunities for engagement. So we, we really treat it as a big family. That's pretty neat. Well, I definitely as a parent uh, spending time with you over the years. That's that's sweet. I'm going to ask you a couple of really quick questions and then we're going to dive into the next subject. So tell me your favorite sport. <clears throat> I like basketball quite a bit, especially college basketball. I also like football. I'm not a big fan of baseball. I don't understand it. <laughs> I go, but probably college basketball. I, I go to a lot of college basketball games. Did you play basketball? No, but I I went once, sort of as a life-changing experience for me. John Wooden was a basketball coach at UCLA and he was a great coach. And he did a fantasy camp six years for adults. And I went five of those years. Oh, so I would for, have loved that. Yeah, so for five summers, I got exposed to three days of one summer, it was four days of John Wooden. And they weren't so much basketball camps you played basketball you tried to learn how to shoot and I was a terrible terrible player <laughs> but at least half of it was John Wooden talking about leadership and team building and dedication and the pyramid of success and that was deeply influential on my life oh he yeah he was an amazing man for sure what about favorite pastime my wife and I enjoy movies we see in a slow year 50 movies in a normal year we probably go and see 75 movies. So we, we try to see a movie every week. COVID and the advent of streaming is really changing things. But again, I, I love going to the movies and it, it, I, again, I typically would go to see at least 75 movies a year. So favorite movie, now that you see 50 to 75 a year, I'm calling you every time I'm looking for a best pick. <laughs> It's a movie that a lot of people didn't see this year called CODA, C-O-D-A. And I really love that movie. It's getting a little recognition for the Academy Awards. I don't think it'll win. But it's one I found very inspirational and fun. And I liked West Side Story. I mean, I, I go to the I movies it. because I like movies and it's self-fulfilling. I choose movies I think I will like. So I'm usually not a good critic because I go to see stuff I would like. Did you, did you see the most recent West Side Story? Yes, mm -hmm. I enjoyed like it a that. lot, especially the first maybe 10 minutes, I thought Steven Spielberg really is a master of his craft, mm -hmm. how he did the camera work, the editing, the sound, just the whole visuals he set up. He, Steven Spielberg is really a master. And, and in a lot of ways, home builders and community builders are like movie directors. You try to create a scene, you try to put together talented people from different parts of the industry. And I think that's one of the things I like about seeing movies that inspires me in our work is how do you assemble the very best team possible and how do you put them together to create a really meaningful product? I love that. I love that. 
you know, one of the things that I have always been so impressed with you as is so as a home builder and a developer, I think every project opening I've ever had, you've showed up to. <laughs> well, I go to oh. a lot of openings. I enjoy it. It's just something I do on weekends and I try to find the openings. It's a good way to see builders. It's a good way to see industry people. But most important, it's a great way to see the new projects, to try to see how are competitors trying to solve problems. Yes. And I love that openings because the customers are there and you can just listen and you hear, learn so much about what people like or don't like. So I typically in the marketplaces where I live, try to go to openings and then I typically try to go back maybe a month later. It could be six weeks later, or eight weeks later and talk to the salespeople during a slow time to say, what did you learn? What was most popular? What was least popular? And so our, we're smart. fortunate in the building industries, we all build a, a very visible project product. We're also fortunate that the, our industry is a sharing industry. I've been so impressed when I compare it to friends in other industries where it's very cutthroat. Home building's a competitive industry. We all want to win. But I think in most markets, you rarely have one builder with more than three or 4% market share. So it doesn't hurt if you help a competitor and ID exchange makes everyone better. So I do go to a lot of grand openings. And it's, and, and, and it's fun. It's, it's not the hardest thing to go to a grand opening and look at models. Oh, I love it. Everyone has a home and, you know, yeah. um, no, absolutely. What about favorite place to visit? Like um, vacations? Well, our, my wife and I and our family have been fortunate. We, we don't take a lot of vacations, but over the last 30 years, I think we've gone to 50 countries. So we, we try every year to take one or two vacations that are typically a week or sometimes two weeks. So we've been able to see not all of the world, of course, but seeing 50 countries, it's given us a lot of exposures. There's, there's not a favorite. I mean, our favorite trip is always the next trip, whatever it'll be. We're able to go to Egypt in November, my wife and I had a great time and it was very inspirational because I studied the classics growing up and to see Egypt was fun. And then this probably won't surprise you. We got there two days early and I went to look at model homes and communities in Cairo, where there's some very good work being done, mostly with American consulting firms, not entirely, but it was fun to go to housing projects in Egypt just to see how they do things differently. How that would be interesting. What are the key differences in home? Did you notice any big differences? Some of the luxury houses you know, you always think you're smart and you know what people are doing. And I looked at some of the kitchens and I thought, well, these are very closed off kitchens. Why aren't they like all the smart people in California, Nevada? But as I talked to a number of salespeople, they said, you don't understand the Egyptians who can afford these houses are probably having staff cooking and preparing the meals. And so they don't want the staff visible. They want to cook somewhere else. And also with a lot of the Egyptian cooking, a lot of it uses spices and foods that have smoke and smells. So what I thought as an outsider was a mistake after I listened. The, the Egyptians are very smart. They know what their customers want. So that was one of the big differences. I think some of the similarities, though, because they used American consultants, they used others, too, was how similar their master plan communities were here. 
that the Egyptians realized that when people buy a house, they're buying more than a house. In many cases, they're buying landscaping or gates or a recreation center. So the Egyptians have a number of great communities where they're doing very fine work at building a sense of community. Do you normally visit uh, new home neighborhoods when you travel throughout the world? Or was that just unique for maybe, Egypt? May, maybe half the time, I try to get there a day early just to see. And with the internet, it's easy to try to do research in advance. Sure. I remember once in Japan, I was thrilled because they were doing a parade of homes. And so I was able to see about 20 models in one location. So it was very good, but it was a hassle for me because you had to take off your shoes at every door. And so I was <laughs> in my shoes, but it was a lot of fun. And the, the Japanese, this was a while ago, they were doing some very good work. They're brilliant with space and they have to be, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're blessed in the United States and we're especially blessed in Southern California. There's so many good builders and land planners to your designers. But when you travel, what you learn is, boy, not all the great ideas are in Southern California. They could be in Florida and Texas and Seattle, but they can also be in Egypt or Tokyo or somewhere else. Do you bring any of those ideas into your planning here and, and inspire some of the builders or anything that you're doing from a you know, in all shapes and forms, whether it's retail, apartment, or home, I have to believe that sort of trickles back. I can't say there's one giant idea I got coming back. I think in, in, in Japan, it was certainly the use of space that you alluded to. I mean, they're, they're almost like boat builders where every half inch matters or every quarter inch sure. matters. No, it's, it's an accumulation. And I I think, again, when I go out, and again, I, it's not just me, me, me at the company. We've got a lot of talented people, but it's a series of things. When you hear something three times or four times, it's just a, a, an accumulation of ideas that get in your mindset. So there wasn't one big idea that came back, but it shaped my thinking in a lot of ways. I bet. I bet. And imagine if we took every inch in a home today and could actually get more efficient and functional here with the affordability issues we have. I have to believe there's so many lessons learned there. I actually will study yeah. architecture in, you know, Paris and Japan and some of that stuff because they are so great with space. Yes, yes. So it's, it's, well, it's some of the countries, I mean, when you look at the world, especially Southern California where I live, I mean, we're very new. I mean, the, the housing industry in its big sense is maybe 70 or 80,000, 80, 70 or 80 years old. Well, in Europe, in Paris or in Japan, they've been doing it for a thousand years. So they, they've got a head start on us. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so amongst all of that great advice, tips, Coda, West Side Story, good movies to see. Um, let's, let's dive into Lewis Operating Companies that specifically what do you think it is about your company that, you know, has 700 people working there today? I mean, what are the sort of, you know, key things that you think makes it different? I think one difference is just the stability of the company. You know, I would look at the list of the Builder 100 or look at the list of the LA Times Top 10. And if you look at it over the last 50 years, there's been a lot of transition we've been able to survive a long time. And there aren't many companies that really have survived a long time. So we offer a lot of stability. I think to our customers, to our trade partners, and to the cities and communities where we work, 
we offer a predictability that they know if they deal with us, they know how to call owners, they know how to call the top executives, they know if something goes wrong and things always go wrong in our industry. People know how to reach us. And I think there's a predictability that, that people know, we make mistakes like everyone else, but we try really hard to rectify them because we, we put our name on almost all our projects. It's not an ego thing, but our apartment groups are built by Lewis apartment communities. Our shopping centers are built by Lewis retail. And we're proud of what we have done, but we also want people to know we're the company that stands behind the work we do. I think that's the difference. Right. I think we're a company, and again, the, in our industry, anyone who survived the last 10 years is a good company. There, there are no weak or stupid developers that I know anymore. There are no dumb home builders. It's a smart industry now. I think we have a culture of always trying to learn, always trying to say, is there a better way to do what we're doing? And, there, and there's a humility. I mean, we're not afraid to ask our customers, our subcontractors, our builders we work with, what can we do better? How can we do a better job of serving you? So I think that sense of constant learning really is important to all of us. Let me ask you this, you know, for the company, was there a turning point in the company's trajectory where it was, you know, we're, we're a smaller builder or a smaller developer, but when we did this, that's when it really shifted who we were as a company. Was there any of those sort of big ahas? There were a couple of inflection points. In the early 1970s, and it was really the, the middle and later 70s, we started doing some larger subdivisions. And, and they were really good. I, we did one in Laverne I drove through recently. And I just thought, gosh, we were like big time then. We weren't doing 20 houses at a time of 30. So I think it was some of our growth in the 70s. In the mid the boom of the 90s, 1995 to 1999, I think we, no one is bulletproof in our industry, but we enjoyed enough success that we knew whatever downturns we would survive. As I said, we're a company and a family that went through a lot of cycles and you always had that worry, will we make it through this cycle? But I think after the 90s, and especially when we sold our home building company, we got enough liquidity that it let us sleep at night. And that's a good feeling. So those were a couple of the big shifts. And then after 2000, as we really tried to grow a shopping center business, an industrial business, and an apartment business, and a planned community business, I think those 10 years were really critical for us to pivot after being just a home builder. What about you as a person in the company? What was the turning point for you sort of where you were like, hey, I've got this or, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I've kind of found my groove or, or this is what I want to do with the company. What, how, explain that a little bit for you. Well, it's not just me. We've got, got brothers. We've got sure. part of the company. So it's not just me, but it just over time, if you do stuff, you try to become, get a mastery. But I talked about Steven Spielberg and I remember he was speaking, I think at the Oscars to Akira Kurosawa, an 80 year old Japanese filmmaker and Kurosawa said, I still feel like I haven't mastered the art of filmmaking. Well, I, I feel that way from my career that there's so still so much I wanna learn and so much I wanna get better at. So it's a, 
it's a journey, but I mean, I'm comfortable with our company. We are a very good company, but I'm also sure we have a lot to learn and a lot of ways we can get even better. And that's what makes you guys so good is you're constantly striving to be better. Um, and I think that's true for many of the greats in our industry is they're constantly trying to do it better. Um, yes. How did you fall into sort of the, the part of the company though that you're in versus where the other three brothers landed? Well, two ways, one good, one bad. The bad was a lot of the roles I have, my mother did, and she had a stroke in the mid 1970s. So someone sort of had to take her place at that. Mm -hmm. And she was very good at it. The good was it just so happened that the, a lot of the things like designing floor plans or working with customers were things I'd studied in school, trying to be really consumer oriented. So it was just a very happy marriage if there was a need and also was things that I like. And I think that's been a success, not just for my brothers, but for the next generation. And I, I hope for our key employees is we try to put positions in people put people in positions where they get to do what they want and where they can thrive. So that's, that's how that's it happens. That's pretty neat that you were led by a strong woman and you had, your parents had such a great equal partnership. I mean, that was probably pretty unique for that time, right? Oh, it was unique. And when we were operating five divisions, two of them are Nevada divisions were both run by very capable women who played an important role in the history of our company. So. Our, our family, and especially my dad, was very much involved in equity when it wasn't popular in the 60s and 70s. He was a real champion of fair housing, and it wasn't always popular in Southern California to be an advocate of fair housing, but it's, it's just something that we grew up in. It's in our DNA to try to do the right thing and, and, and celebrate diversity, try to give everybody an opportunity. So today you guys are building a lot of master plans and continuing the apartment front and retail and some of that. What are the key things in your developments that are core principles that you're looking for for the customer? What do you think are, are the most important elements that you guys plan for? Well, we try to look at a number of stakeholders and that they all have different interests. First is the community where we do work. We wanna be a good member of the community. It could be the neighbors that are next to us, but it could be the city or county as a whole. I think secondly, we recognize very important customers for us are the home builders who buy land from us. And they are the ones who really write our paychecks. So we try to be as good as we can for our builders and understand their needs and be sensitive. We were a builder for so many years. We try to be sensitive of the challenges they're facing. And then it comes down to what you might call as a research, the consumer, but there are customers and try to say, what do different customers want? That's why I respect so much the work that you have done over the years, Molly, the work that your firm has done and some of the other great market research firms mm -hmm. to teach us that there are a lot of different segments and that what one segment wants might not be what another segment wants. We really try to understand that. I think one other differentiator is this recognition that the house is really the most important element, but it's not the only element. And it could be supporting schools or it could be supporting clubs or volunteerism or activities. It could be partnering with the YMCA or the Boy Scouts in the neighborhood. It could be health programs. Right now, we're gonna to try to do a lot on sustainability to try to say people are buying a total package. The house is really important, 
but it's a lot more that will drive customers to want to be in your community. And we hope also will drive economic results. So we, right. we, we have to make money to stay in business. And we've just found if you do all the elements right, the profits will follow. Absolutely. You know, it's um, when everything we do starts with people. It's such a big part of, of everything that we do. And yeah. really understanding that's a, a big part of something I believe in. You have to, sure. I mean, it sounds too romantic, but you have to love your customers. You have to love your employees. You have to love your trade partners because they're the ones who make it all happen. And we live to make their lives better. I would say to love them, you have to listen. And that's such a core part of it. And you, it sounds like you're doing, I mean, everything you have said is about listening and, you know, seeing what people are doing and visiting even other countries and listening there and listening in the models and listening to your builders and listening to your contractors and um, as important or most of all, listening to people and how they live and what they want. It's an old cliche, but it's true. There's a reason we were given two ears and one mouth. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yes. That's hysterical. That's perfect. Um, okay, well, let's, you know, I want to, this has been fantastic, by the way. Um, I want to end with, tell me your, uh, your top inspirational people in your life. If you were to tell me the top three inspirational people in your world and why. I probably would name four. First, my mother and father, though they count as a tandem, just because they were able to build something out of nothing. They created an enduring value and they, they were great teachers. So my mother and father would be number one. Number two would be a professor. There's a management professor named Peter Drucker. And I was lucky I was able to take three classes from him in college. And he was just really a fantastic professor. And I learned so much about efficiency, effectiveness, understanding demographics. Peter Drucker was so far ahead of his time. And probably John Wood and going to these basketball camps and read, I've read every book he ever wrote, just on again, team building and the pyramid of success. And, the, and so I think those would be the ones who really have shaped my life the most. That, you know, that's such a perfect, I think, summary to who you are as a person, right? I mean, so you've been such a leader and um, through philanthropic efforts, like the recent donation, um, kind of teaching in so many different categories. And uh, you're certainly going to leave a legacy much like your parents did. And uh, the company that you are leading today, I mean, it's, it's definitely a large family of 700 plus people. Um, that's a huge responsibility between you and the rest of the family to do together. Um, yes. And it's, it's interesting to think that those developments and everything you're doing, they're going to be here for hundreds of years. I mean, that's such a responsibility. We from cities sometimes that they like about us because the, the cities will say, well, most, especially some builders, they, they want to get in and out, you know, and they say, you know, you guys care about it because you know the project's going to be there for 50 years or 100 years. Sure. And, and we take that kind of perspective. We really try to think how well community age have we built in the systems for governance? Have we built in the kind of landscaping that will be better 50 years from now, not worse? That's, that's pretty terrific. I mean, one of the people I learned a, a lot from was Jeff. You know, Jeff and I went out a lot of time looking at houses and with 
one of the things, I mean, Jeff is far more of an entrepreneur than I am. And I've admired him now away from a distance. But I think one of the things Jeff taught me was just how to use data. I mean, the whole Zonda world, how to use data in new ways. And so today it's, yeah, of course you do that. But Jeff was doing it 30 years ago. Jeff was figuring out, let's find the best selling floor plans or let's look at market share. Let's, he was so unbelievable and he still is. I think one of the things that I really admire about him that he's done well is he not only brings the data piece into it, but he serves it up simply so everybody can use it, right? So I think that's the key in what he does. And I think that's difficult when, especially when you're in big data today, it's really hard to serve data up simply today when there's so much of it. That is an art. So Randall, what are the things that actually make you wake up early in the morning and and stay later when you need to? What are the things that get you excited about the office, what you do, and what's important to you? This will be a weak answer, but everything. I mean, (laughs) my wife tells me she she sometimes is envious because I go to work smiling. I mean, I really like working with great people. I like seeing our team members grow. I like trying to work. The family part is important. It gives me a lot of pleasure to be able to work with the brothers and with the next generation. And we've got key executives. Our CEO has been with us 45 years almost. Wow. And he now works for us. And, and so it's a lot of pleasure to work with great people. It's a lot of pleasure to work with great builders. We learn from our home builders and to work with the consultants we use. And then most of all, I think, is just the sense of pride. I, I always tell employees, our, our business, the home building business, the community building business, it's really a noble work that we do. I mean, we provide the most important part of people's lives where they live. And so that, that just gives me so much satisfaction to be part of an industry that says we're doing something important. And as I look at our competitors, almost all of us, we are doing really good work and I'm very proud to be part of this industry. That's perfect. Well, Randall, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you everybody for joining us as well. Um, uh, We appreciate your time so much. Again, great. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Keep up the great. Thanks, Randall. Thanks everyone for joining us today with Randall Lewis. There were a lot of takeaways there, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights of uh, true inspirational leadership. Uh, My first one was work hard, play hard in everything that you do. And and frankly, if you love what you do, it's not a job. I thought that was a great quote. The next one was, is listen and observe kind of everything around you, your family, your friends, listen to your consumers sitting in models. Uh, Even when he goes to a movie or he goes to another country, he's constantly looking for areas to learn. Uh, The next one is inspire all generations to make a difference. This next generation, you know, they've got to carry the torch and keep it going. The contribution in Randall and his families, I I mean, all that they've created is huge. Um, More than 60,000 homes, you know, you heard it at the very beginning. And then last but not least, we have to make a difference in what we do. Uh, This is going to go on for generations well beyond us. It's both a joy and I think a responsibility. So thanks everyone for joining us and we hope you'll join us next time. Take care.